This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, and also at warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be chatting with our special guest, Irish woman Ashley McCarthy, about her move from the Western Bulldogs to the West Coast Eagles. But first, the latest women's footy news. We begin by congratulating the North Adelaide Roosters on defeating the South Adelaide Panthers in the Sandville Women's Grand Final played over the weekend at Theberton Oval. The Roosters 5-5-35 defeated South Adelaide 4-4-28 and Hatchard was named best on ground. And coach Chrissy Steen after the match had a little message for AFL Coaches Association CEO Mark Brayshaw. He said, uh, female footballers' careers are quite short and, uh, and they deserve the best coaches available. And right now, the best coaches are audio courtesy of Seven News Adelaide. And further news in the Sample Women's competition. Last week, Rochelle Martin of West Adelaide won the Sample Women's Best and Fairest. However, the award could be tied. Finishing behind her by three votes was Anne Hatchard of North Adelaide. And there's believed to be at least one match where there was a case of mistaken identity. Hatchard and a teammate were both wearing long sleeve jumpers. Hatchard had 41 disposals but did not score a single vote, while her teammate, also in long sleeve jumper, had about three disposals and got the three votes. The Sandfall is investigating. Across to Victoria and the VFLW competition is in shock after the Richmond Football Club have announced they will not be participating in the State League competition in 2021. On the Richmond Football Club website, Tigers head of women's football Kate Sheehan said the impact of the COVID pandemic has been significant and they've had to make the difficult decision not to participate in the next VFLW season. They say the decision will ensure they can focus on resources and energies on delivering a high-quality AFLW program in 2021 and beyond. They're currently considering potential alignment opportunities that will allow their AFLW-listed players to participate in the VFLW competition as required, but those discussions at our preliminary stage. To the AFLW and the digital draft order and date has been locked in. Tuesday, October 6th is when the virtual draft will be happening at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. The Richmond Football Club will have pick one to kick off the draft. Now, the opening dates for players who wish to nominate will be Tuesday, September 1st and the draft nomination period will run through to September 21 and clubs that uh, will be taking a father-daughter selection, will need to do so by September 28th. Now, the AFLW draft combined will be in a different format this year due to state government restrictions throughout Australia. So it won't be held in the one place where it's normally held in Melbourne. It'll be held uh, as a state-based combined across these respective dates. First of all, on Tuesday, September 29th in New South Wales and the ACT, venue to be confirmed. Uh, On Wednesday, September 30th in South Australia and Western Australia, respectively. Uh, In the Northern Territory and in Queensland on Saturday, October 3rd. Now, for Tasmania, the exact date hasn't been locked in, but it'll be on the week commencing Monday, September 21st. Victoria is to be confirmed based upon the current stage four restrictions that are underway in Victoria. And finally, another Irish woman will be entering the AFLW competition. 15 had been confirmed when we went to air last week. A 16th, a new player, has signed on with the Melbourne Football Club, Laura McGee, out of Dublin. She'll be the third Irish woman on the AFLW list at the D's. And that's the latest women's footy news. Been playing for a while, sweet kicks, because footy makes you smile. Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? 
then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile, Sweet Kicks Football. On RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. So to our featured guest for this week, we last spoke with her two years ago when she took part in the original Crosscoders camp in Melbourne in 2018. About a month later, she'd be taken in the AFLW draft by the Western Bulldogs, added straight to their primary list. She had a breakout 2020 AFLW season, but with a longer sign-and-trade period, that allowed her to be approached by the West Coast Eagles and obviously looking to also advance her physio career, the Eagles put on the table an offer she just simply couldn't refuse. Originally from Tipperary, where she plays Gaelic football and has been an absolute star, she is looking forward to donning the blue and gold of the Eagles in 2021 and 2022 as part of a two-year deal. It's great to have back on the line Ashling McCarthy. Ash Mac, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me. Great to have you back on the line. And and can you believe it's just been a little under 24 months since your journey down to Australia as part of the original Crosscoders camp? Yeah, it's um, been an incredible, I suppose, two years. Um, It's gone very quickly and um, I'm very grateful for everything that's happened over that time. And um, I suppose I couldn't have envisaged what was going to happen when I met you um, down in Melbourne in September. So um, it's been an incredible journey since. And I'm very grateful for it. Just to repaint the pitch for everyone, uh, back on our uh, 37th episode in 2018 as part of that year's series, which is season four of our show, uh, we caught up with uh, 17 of the 18 women who took part in the Crosscoders program in late September in Melbourne. They weren't only Irishmen, 11 of them were Irishwomen, but we also had some Americans, uh, Canadians, uh, French and a Fijian in there as well. Uh, as we spoke to you uh, then, you were playing uh, obviously with County Care back in Ireland. Um, you saw this opportunity to come to Australia. Um, obviously, everyone talked up the opportunity to try and play semi-professional football when we were doing your interviews. But after going through that program and getting ready to, to go back home, what were your thoughts at that initial stage? Because Alice Considine had been signed, Yvonne Bonner had been signed, only two out of the 18. What were your thoughts of where you were going to be in your semi-professional journey? Yeah, obviously, um, Yvonne and Ailish uh, took the last two rookie contracts that week out of Melbourne. So um, I didn't really know um, like how certain my future in the AFLW would have been. Um, I guess there was some interest from a couple of clubs, but as you know, the draft is very unpredictable and you can't get promised anything. So I knew going into the draft in October that there was a little bit of interest in clubs, but... I didn't know whether I was going to get picked at all and if I was, what club was going to pick me up. So um, even for the Bulldogs to pick me up um, in the draft, it was a bit of a shock because they probably didn't show too much keen interest when I went back home from the camp that year. And there were probably other clubs that I stayed in contact with a little bit more. So uh, they kept it under wraps a little bit and, and it was a bit of a surprise. But I was very grateful for the Bulldogs giving me the opportunity to start my AFL career. I guess that's a very good thing to follow up on because you, you spoke with a number of clubs who had actually done presentations at the Crosscoders program. Um, the, the Bulldogs were there. They were part of the original uh, the, the teams to start the Crosscoders uh, before it became independent. Uh, obviously, you had uh, Alan McConnell was there from the GWS Giants. Um, as you said, very little contact. For those that did speak to you, considering obviously you were going to have to do the big move from Ireland out to Australia, was it just very light, polite conversation or was it actually quite detailed in wanting to get to know about you and what your plans were going to be if they brought you out here? Yeah, I guess the shock probably that um, Western Bulldogs picked me up was I didn't go into those deep conversations with them when I arrived home to Ireland, but um, a couple of other clubs would have had um, some Skype calls with me and yeah, look, it had to be pretty detailed. Um, first of all, they had to know whether I could just give up my life in Ireland and fly out, um, you know, straight away to join them in pre-season if I was to get selected in the draft. And um, They had to, you know, find out the logistics of what it would take to bring out an international player out, uh, where I was going to live, um, different things like that. So, yeah, definitely it was, um, you know, a deep 
uh, there was a deep level of in the conversation, but at the same time, there was no promises that I was going to get picked up by these clubs. Um, I guess they were just putting their ducks in a row in case that um, the opportunity would come up to pick me. But um, I think Gresham and Bulldogs got there just ahead of um, some of those clubs. So, um, no, look, it, it all worked out and I've had an incredible two seasons after West and Bulldogs. It was obviously a learning curve um, for myself and them. You know, I was the first um, international player that they took into their ranks in the Bulldogs. So we had to learn different things logistically um, that we learned over the last two seasons. But they always put um, their best hand forward to make me welcome and uh, ensure that I felt at home on the other side of the world. There were pros and cons about uh, having to wait for the draft. Um, unlike those that were taken by the rookie uh, uh, avenue, they automatically had a contract. They knew they were going to play for the clubs. But back then, under the old rookie rules, was you had to wait till someone was injured before you were allowed to uh, be upgraded to the primary list to play. Those rules have obviously changed now. For you, having that nervous wait meant you got to go straight on the primary list, which meant if you trained well enough, they could select you immediately. Um, first of all, with the draft itself, do you remember where and when you were when your name got called out? Yeah, uh, it was the middle of the night. Um, so I was actually in my bedroom, just scrolling through my phone. And um, I was watching it, I think, on Facebook Live. But I actually missed my name getting called out because I don't know if I just stopped watching it for a couple of minutes or something. And I had a load of text messages. Um, so I had to replay it. But no, it was um, a very, like great night you know I didn't expect it at all and it was about 3 o'clock in the morning by the time my name got called out um, so then it was just all about getting set up getting my visa ready and um, trying to get out in time for pre-season so that all took uh, 2 or 3 weeks to get organised but then I was on a plane out to Melbourne so it all happened pretty quick yeah, I was about to say, because it's around mid-October the draft occurs and around the first or second week of November that pre-season training occurs. Can you talk about what you had to organise in those two to three weeks to essentially, at least for, temp- for temporary measures, for six months, move your life down to Australia, including, I imagine, probably at the same time, you were preparing with County Care to um, get ready for, or we would have been in the middle of a Gaelic season. Um, well, I would have been fortunate enough that... Um the Gaelic season actually ended in uh, September, October, so it was just over. So I wasn't going to miss any Gaelic football matches. So that was a, a good thing. Um, but yeah, I suppose the big thing was getting the visa um, granted. That took um, a good bit of time to process. So I actually did miss a week or two of pre-season because of that. Um, and then obviously the logistics of where I was going to live. So I actually lived with Lauren Sparks for the first couple of weeks when I landed in Melbourne. Um, one of my teammates and obviously she's involved in the Cross Coders program as well but then um, a host family that are, are very well connected to Bulldogs um, opened up their doors for me so I lived there with Kate Bartlett um, another um, draftee that year so it was nice to have a teammate there and they were such good um, uh, Bulldog supporters as well so it was really nice um, to kind of feel like I was at home and have um, people there that cared about me as well so um, I was very grateful for that family as well that year and once that was all set up I was kind of ready to concentrate on football but you know it did take a while to organise these things and I suppose um, it probably was a lot more work than Bulldogs probably thought you know it's it's not the same as taking an Australian girl in the draft um, at all so it does take a lot more work and um, I think now the club's across the AFLW realised that you do have to probably put a bit more work into catering for international players when they move their life across the world to play this game. Absolutely, particularly when we talk about uh, even just uh, uh, those that are based in Victoria that get taken in, particularly the men's draft, which is a true national draft, and they get taken to Queensland or across to, which you're doing now, across to WA. And we talk about how some of those young boys get homesick and by their early 20s, they're requesting a trade to come back to Victoria. They just don't feel comfortable uh, moving away from uh, Melbourne. Um, For yourself, moving to Melbourne, um, how tough is it to A, obviously get over little bouts of homesickness that you may have, but B, trying to establish a routine away from football, some type of social life, so your mind is not focused on footy 24-7? Yeah, um, I guess we're lucky enough in a sense that the season is only short, so we only go out for six months, so in that way it helps the homesickness a little bit and 
you know, you're out there for that amount of time and you just try to appreciate your time in Melbourne because you'll be home quick enough, like it does go quick enough. But um, yeah, definitely it was tough at times, like especially in first season when I didn't get to Mexico around one. Um, my life out in Melbourne probably revolved around football and then that opportunity was taken away from me not being selected to play that first round. So, you know, it, it was very tough, but I think um, my first year, I probably didn't get that balance right. Um, all my friends were my teammates, you know, and it was constantly a football bubble that I was in and I probably didn't have any time to turn off um, my mind from football. But I learned this year, I lived with a group of Irish girls in a house. So, you know, we had a lot in common. We knew each other from home and we all played on different teams. So we tried to nearly not talk about football too much because we didn't want to be talking about our training was going or our game plans or anything like that. So it was really nice to have them this year and be able to switch off and head to the beach on our days off and things like that and, you know, go on a few uh, day trips and do touristy things because we're all in the same boat. Um, so it was nice to ha- have that this year and I think that I stru- uh, struck the balance a little bit better between um, football and then being able to switch off as well. And we'll talk about how you're doing the settling in with West Coast a little bit later on. But let's talk about that uh, first pre-season because when we spoke to you during the Crosscoders camp, which was only a, a week-long camp, and you did uh, various uh, skills and fitness testing, and particularly along the fitness testing, you explained how that was similar to back home in Ireland, particularly with the, uh, with college uh, Gaelic football, about how you get uh, tested along those lines. So you saw some similarities when you're going into that semi-professional environment, training roughly three to four days per week, how was that intensity compared to playing top-flight Gaelic football back home? Um, I suppose there actually wasn't much of a difference. Um, I think the major difference is at home, you're probably working full-time alongside it. So you might have a job um, Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, and those evenings you're heading to training, and you just mightn't be as prepared as you could be. Um, so I suppose... Having that semi-professional or even for us Irish girls, it's a professional lifestyle because we don't work out in Australia. So we have all the time in the world to invest in sport, um, become a better athlete and, um, you know, prepare food, recover well the next day. We don't have to get up early for work. We have good night's sleep and things like that. So I think that was a major difference. But I think the intensity of training wasn't really any different. Um, I suppose the sports science behind um, training here and training over there is, is the exact same and we have the same goals to become as fit and as strong and um, as best as we, as we can I guess and I do think maybe that we got monitored a lot more in Australia and um, we wore GPSs and we monitored our load a lot more so you know at times we actually did a lot less than we would at home in Ireland um, we were probably minded a, a little bit more in a way which um, is, is good but you know I think Australia girls or used to, you know, just um, slogging through and doing really hard training sessions. So at times it was a little bit far and, you know, if you pull some training, they did a little bit too much. But, um, no, it, um, I really saw how, I suppose, um, professional the setup was. But I think um, Gaelic football over here is in um, such a good place for an amateur sport. And I think, you know, some of the Irish girls were the fittest and the fastest on their team. So it just shows. And the athleticism and I suppose the professional setup that is in our amateur sport over here in Ireland. So um, I do think great credit should go to um, Gaelic football and to clubs and counties over here as well. Leaving aside skills for a moment, kicking, handballing, marking, etc. Um, how did you find the transition to the gameplay and strategy of Aussie rules at the AFLW level? I recall that uh, when we were speaking, uh, particularly with the Irish women that took part in the Crosscoders camp, they'd seen a few days prior uh, the VFLW grand final of what was uh, now known as Marvel Stadium. Um, and they talked about saying, oh, and Aussie rules, you seem to be just kicking straight up the line, at least in that grand final. Whereas you obviously indicated in Gaelic football, it was more run and spread and as we'd call in Aussie rules try to open up the fat side of the ground uh, yeah definitely um, I suppose um, the difference in rules probably makes a difference to the game plan and things like that but definitely um, I realised when I went out that there was a lot more um, I suppose structure around the ground um, position wise and then of the game plans for different positions and I probably found this year especially going through the midfield um, mostly that you know there was a lot of tactics and um, things like that but yeah, look, that's the VFL um, final that we're watching. We probably thought they were just um, hitting it up and down the line quite a lot. And in Gaelic football, it's probably, yeah, you'd run and carry, you'd open up the space. And um, But I think maybe the fact that you can't get 
the cost for holding the ball in Gaelic football um, makes a little bit of a difference. Um, obviously, if you're under pressure, you can just get um, a kick forward just to, to go for ter- territory um, in case you get, you know, if you run and get caught for holding the ball. So I think you appreciate, I suppose, um, the decision making. Sometimes you're under a lot more pressure in AFL than you might be in Gaelic football. Um, it's easier probably to hold on to the ball in, the, in that sense of Gaelic football. But um, yeah, but, like we have game plans and structure in Gaelic, but I think it is a lot more free flowing, I suppose. Um, with the marks and I suppose ball ups and things like that in AFL, it does become more stop start than the Gaelic football game would be um, at home. So let's focus on the skills aspects with kicking, handballing, marking. Uh, the one thing that we all noted, for example, through the 2018 season when Cora Staunton came out to play with the GWS Giants was a bit of the unusual kicking style where she'd almost, uh, on a set shot, try to kick it round the corner, very much similar to what you'd do with a round ball in Gaelic. Um, for yourself, how long did it feel to, to be truly comfortable with, A, your kicking skills, but also your handballing and marking? Um, yeah, definitely kicking was probably the most fun, um, I suppose. From when we were five or six and we picked up a gate of football, um, you're nearly taught to kick around the corner more because, you know, it's more accurate. You um, hurt, hitting it with a certain aspect of your foot and you've less um, room for error. So, you know, when we came over to Australia and you're getting asked to punt kick, it was um, a, a little bit different. But, you know, I probably have a unique style myself. Like, it's not um, probably the exact same as most of the Australian girls, but, you know, a lot of them have their own unique style as well. So, I probably do go around the corner a little bit, but um, I do um, punt kick it a bit more. But yeah, definitely, it took a while. But like once you go over to Australia, you're picking up the ball nearly every day, and you have a coach's eye as well there. So um, it gets tweaked within a week or two. Um, to have you know a proper kind of style that works for you in Australia. So. Um, I think that was important. I suppose when I was practicing by myself at home, it was probably not having the coach there to fix little things. Um, that was the big difference. So once I landed over in Australia and um, Paul and the other coaches were able to lay an eye on my kicking style, it got tweaked fairly easy. So um, yeah, that was probably the biggest thing. And then obviously tackling is different um, as well. We can't tackle like that in Gaelic football. But, you know, handballs are pretty much the same. And maybe marking was a little bit more difficult obviously with the over ball um, and then just learning as well to to stop when you do mark it and not to always play on was a, a big difference but um, I think you know uh, you're halfway through pre-season and it comes second nature because you're playing it so much during the week um, that you know it just becomes second nature so um, you know practice makes perfect I suppose you mentioned about tackling. Um, did you actually have a, a one-on-one coach to focus on your tackling to not only be legal, but also be safe? I think, of, for example, Malcolm Bangs is one that goes around regularly around Victorian clubs, an ex-judo coach trying to teach uh, footballers how to safely take down their opponent. Um, no, I guess we didn't. But um, with Bulldogs, we had um, an emphasis on skill development. And it wasn't just for me because I was a new player. It was for all the girls and you know, you could have as many game plans um, as you want, but if you can't execute the skills of the game and the basics of the game, um, then a game plan is going to go out the window, really. So we had a really um, great focus on our skill development and just being the basics 100% right, really. And um, that really helped my development um, as well. Obviously, I was starting from scratch, but you know, every training session we had different... Um, areas that we went through and tackling would have been there most nights as well as kicking and handballing so um, you know after a few weeks um, it became much easier but it was obviously very foreign to start with but I am a very competitive person and it really brought out my competitive nature and I think um, that was the strength that I um, built on as well when I was playing AFLW. Skipping back just one moment to kicking, uh, I was reading an article that you did with uh, Off the Ball, and I believe once you picked up, obviously, your uh, natural habits uh, of kicking the Aussie rule football, it actually had a bit of an effect on the way that you were kicking the Gaelic football when you went back home after the first season. Yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose the transition back um, home, you know, people didn't think about that coming back. They obviously expect you just to come back better because you're in a professional environment, but I hadn't picked up the Gaelic football in those six months because obviously it's completely new to the AFLW games. So I wanted to concentrate on just the overball. Um, but yeah, there's um, a big difference really in the weight of the ball. Um, I suppose you probably uh, do a stronger kick through it in um, AFLW. So when I came home, um, my kick was definitely affected 
Um, but, you know, at the same way that after week or two, um, when I was in the AFLW training sessions and um, amongst uh, those girls, when I came home and I was mixed in with Gaelic football and attending those training sessions, um, my kick went back to normal. But I did get a bit of a, a fright when I went back that um, the transition back to Gaelic football wasn't going to be um, as easy as I thought. So you've done your first pre-season. You had to wait patiently to round two until you would have your first game. It would be against Geelong at the Bulldogs' home ground of VU Witten Oval. Um, do you recall getting the news that, right, you're in for round two? Um, yeah, um, I think it was that week before um, Paul used to ring players, I think, if they weren't going to be picked. So I saw Paul's name come up on my phone um, the Tuesday or Wednesday before round two, and I was like, oh, God, I don't want to answer this because it's probably the news that I'm not going to be playing again. But um, thankfully, it was actually very good news that I'd be making my debut. So um, it was a really special night. Um, it was the unveiling of the Premiership flag as well um, at Whitnoble because the girls had won it the year before and there was such a carnival atmosphere. Um, Whitnoble was packed and, you know, it was probably a really, really uh, great night to make my debut as well. Um, and one that I'll always remember and I, um, I, got, I got a goal that night as well. So, um, I think, you know, everything went to plan. We got the win and that as well. So it was a really special night. Um, and I'm grateful that I got to uh, make my debut in Whitnoble as well. On two of those points, um, do you remember kicking that goal or is it all a blur? And when you start to run through the race, go through the warm-up and getting ready for the first siren, um, when does it hit you that, OK, this is all real, I'm now out here, I'm now playing? Um, yeah, I suppose like my Gaelic football background and playing in front of big crowds and in all Ireland finals definitely stood to me. So I was in two phases. Like obviously I was a little bit nervous. Um, first time I was playing a game that I'd never played before. So um, there was a little bit of nerves. But once the ball got thrown in, um, I was, you know, fully focused. And for that goal, um, I guess I actually played on from a free kick and scored the goal. And I didn't really realise what I had done at the time um, so you know I was lucky enough that I did score um, and I was in a bit of disbelief because I think the umpire blew the whistle while I was kicking the ball so I didn't know whether it was a free against me or what but I think he was actually awarding off the free and I had played on from from that free kick so no look it all worked out but um, I probably didn't really realise what I was doing at the time um, but we got the win that night as well so it was extra special and what do you think of this Aussie tradition of ours of uh, you getting that Gatorade shower after your first win? Yeah, you have a lot of traditions that are uh, quite different to us, and uh, that would be one. Yeah, it was, um, it was, you know, it was special. Um, obviously, I was frozen afterwards um, because I was so stoked. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is special, you know, to get the the song sung around you, and um, it was a great celebration that night, um, especially getting the win. But you know, you do do things a little bit different, like celebrating every goal, which you probably wouldn't do in Gaelic football because the opposition goalie has to kick it out straight away. So we're just turned around um, marking our um, defenders and our opposing team. So we get, um, us Irish girls get a, a good bit of slagging because um, oftentimes we don't really celebrate goals too much because it's not something that we do at home. So you've had your first win. You've gone through your first season as well. Five games there for the uh, for the Western Bulldogs. That's all been completed. I want to focus on two things at the end of the 2019 season. One, obviously, the Dogs didn't make the grand final. It was, it was partly a rebuilding year because a number of players had been lost due to the expansion clubs. Um, so obviously, the grand final was between Adelaide and Carlton. 53,000 showed up for that game at Adelaide Oval. Now, in an Aussie point of view, that's fantastic for a women's domestic sports final to have that many people coming. But from your point of view and away from Ireland, it's kind of, I guess, uh, par for the course because you've had those numbers at uh, at your finals. Um, yeah, I guess. I suppose um, the big difference for me um, and the crowds was the earlier rounds, like round one and two, and like... It was probably eight to 10,000 people at round two in Whitnall where I made my debut, which would be a lot different to at home in Ireland. Um, for the earlier group stages of the All-Ireland Championship, there wouldn't be those numbers. So yeah, All-Ireland Final Day and maybe even the All-Ireland Semi-Finals 
we do get huge numbers and it's thanks to TG Cahar, Little and um, the Ladies Football for really promoting it. And I think last year there was um, 56,000 at the All-Ireland final days. But, you know, that's just the finals. But, yeah, it is um, a great number to have. And, you know, um, seeing 53,000 flood into Adelaide Oval that, that, that day and you could see even on the TV and um, the upper tiers of the stadium and people flooding in there and um, they just kept coming so you know it was brilliant and I think um, it's a testament to the AFL and um, how they promote the game over in Australia and you know you do get huge crowds and I think the fact that the season as well is separate to the men's and you don't have to I suppose, um, compete with the men's game um, earlier on in the year. So, you know, any football fan of Bulldogs can go to the women's game, whereas if it was in the middle of the men's game, you know, a Bulldogs fan might opt to go to the men's game instead of the women's game. So it's really good that, I suppose, you don't have to compete um, against the men's teams um, earlier on in in the season. So it really does um, sell... I suppose, AFLW and allow um, more promotion and coverage of it. So I think that's great. You mentioned about the support of Little and TG4 behind uh, uh, Ladies Gaelic Football uh, back home in Ireland. Uh, and we do know of TG's for support of the international rules uh, for women about, I think it's 15 years ago now, for that one and only series between Australia and Ireland. From what you've seen of the promotion of Ladies Gaelic Football back home, is there anything you think the AFL or the media or even its sponsors can take away from what you do in Ireland in the way that you promote football over over there to help along the women's game here? Um, no, I think like both associations um, do really well. Um, I suppose the Ladies Football Association is independent of the GA, um, which can be a good and a bad thing, um, obviously, whereas the AFLW is underneath the AFL. Um, but that's, I think, a good thing as well because obviously um, they can use their sponsors and the kind of TV deals and stuff that they have. Um, so I think, you know, there's pros and cons with everything, but I think women's sport in general, um, both in Ireland and in Australia and globally, is really growing. And I think people are doing a great job of that. And um, hopefully it, it continues um, to go the way, the way it is. So the 2019 season has ended and everyone goes through an exit interview. Whether you're staying on with the club or you're not, it's a bit of feedback on how your season went and what they want to see improvement. What was it like sitting through your first exit interview with the Western Bulldogs after that first season? And to try and build up your game, for which you had a very good 2020, what did they want you to focus on and what did you work on during that uh, six-month off period? Yeah, um, I guess um, I'd never been to an exit meeting before, so it was very new but it was just a lot of feedback around uh, my game that year and uh, where I could go and I I suppose I was just told that throughout the season um, my game was growing and I was getting better and better with each game so you know my best game that season was probably my last game against Carlton so they were just trying to tell me um, the positives from that where I was heading with my football and just to keep going so um, I guess I was just told to um consistently practice my skills and um, then we'd I'd be able to work on more game plan stuff when I came back to Australia the following year and um, I probably played a more of a, a different role um, this season and through the midfield which I think um, brought my strengths um, out as well my competitive nature and just my fight around the football um, so I really enjoyed going through the midfield then this year um, after kind of practicing my skills and that over the past six months before um, pre-season started. Going through that Irish summer of 2019, uh, the off-season, the AFLW, what's your mindset like then? Because you said you were picking up the Gaelic ball, but you're focusing ahead to the AFLW season where your semi-professional contract is. How is it trying to balance those two sports? Uh, um, well, to be honest, um, I probably my main focus was Gaelic football and I think, you know, um, Bulldogs and realised that. And then also with Gaelic football, when I was in Australia, they realised that that was my sole focus when I was over there. So, you know, I picked up the ball at times but um, and practised my skills. But at the same time, um, to the forefront of my mind was Gaelic football. And I put nearly 99% of my time into, into that. And, I, and Bulldogs knew that because, you know, I am only... Um, myself, you know, six months in Australia, six months in Ireland. So 
I have to kind of give 100% to my, of my time when I'm in Ireland to my Irish life and then the same when I go to Australia. So um, it is a little bit difficult to strike a balance. Um, but I think when you have the support, I suppose, of your team in Australia and they realise that Gaelic football is probably your number one love because it's the, the game you've been playing since you're a child and that's what you dreamed of growing up. Um, when you have that support uh, and they enable you to go play that, then um, I think you just give your full focus to that, as well as picking up, up the ball and making sure you keep your skills up with AFLW. But, um, you know, I was there to win in All-Ireland with Tipperary when I got home. So that's what my um, goal was for that summer. Coming to the end of 2019, you're getting ready to come back out to Australia for the 2020 season. If we rewind back the clock, 2017, there was one Irish woman playing in the AFLW. That was Laura Gincorrigan Jaray, who had been out in Australia for about six years and the captain of the Irish Banshees team. She played with Melbourne. In 2018, there was two players joining Laura. We then had Cora out of the GWS Giants, the first to be recruited directly out of Ireland. Then, along with yourself, Yvonne and uh, Ailish, it got up to five in the 2018, uh, 2019 season. And then... For 2020, it blew out to 18. Were you surprised by the virtually threefold increase in Irish women being signed to AFLW contracts, considering you were part of that original Crosscoders camp? Um, not really. Um, I guess you see there's a lot of um, Irish men um, have become very successful in the game. So there is that Irish connection there within the AFL and Cora being recruited from Ireland was probably the person that opened up the doors for us and how well she did in her first season. And then four more of, of us were added on then um, for when it was my first season as well. And, you know, I think we all contributed to our teams in a way and um, showed that Irish Gaelic footballers can seamlessly transition into the game. So, you know, 18 is probably a huge number, but I'm not surprised... Um, there's very talented ladies footballers all across the country and they can all add something different to the AFL team. So, um, yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I suppose the only thing is that, um, you know, that clubs are aware that it is a lot different to um, take an Irish girl up and it's a lot different to taking an Australian girl that lives down the road in Melbourne and only has to commute, you know, 20 minutes to go training. So, it is a little bit different in that sense, and I just hope clubs uh, appreciate um, that there is a lot more of a logis- logistics to it, um, organisation and things like that. Um, but I think, you know, anyone that I knew that was out in Australia was very well looked after. Um, so, you know, clubs are getting it right, but um, it does take a lot more to bring out an Irish girl than it does uh, pick an Australian girl, I suppose. For the 2020 season, as you mentioned, uh, moving from forward to the midfield, did, did you almost find yourself in a pseudo-leadership role when you consider, A, on the internationals front, you're the senior of the inter- you were the senior of the internationals at the Western Bulldogs because you'd have a fellow Irishwoman in Katie Heron join you and then an American in Danielle Marshall. And then obviously being in the midfield, even though you're only 23 at the time, you'd also have a bunch of 18-year-olds join you straight out of the draft. Um, yeah, definitely. A lot of um, talented um, 18, 19-year-olds joined our ranks in um, Bulldogs this season. And, you know, I learned a lot from them as well. And they, they're they very talented footballers. They've been playing the game all the way up through their teenage years. Um, so, you know, I learned a lot from them. They probably learned a little bit from me as well and the different outlook I probably have on the game. But, yeah, running through the midfield, um, you know, they talk about a lot of game plans around the midfield and things like that, but in my head it was quite simple. You know, the ball gets thrown off and it's just fight for the football. Like, you know, see the football, get the football. So I think in a way um, I simplified the game so much in my head and it, I just broke it down into, you know, you're just chasing that football and I was doing everything I could to get it. If it was tackling, if it was hassling, if someone else had the ball, I was making sure that they couldn't get rid of it easily and things like that. So that's why I really thought that the midfield suited me, whereas the forward line, you're kind of waiting for your midfield to win the ball. Um, they have to get it up to you. Like, you know, you have to be running certain patterns and in a certain structure. So um, it was a lot more structured um, than I probably would have liked. So when I went to the midfield, I think it made it a lot more simple. And, you know, uh, obviously you're saying there that I was a senior as well, um, as an international in the club but 
you know, Katie is a few years my senior and um, she's had great experience with Donegal over the past few few years. So I actually learned a lot from her and um, what she's been through and the leadership skills she showed and she really tried to drive the standards in that club and I know she'll continue to do so this year. Um, she resigned to go back to Bulldogs and I'm sure Bulldogs will be in a great place having her in their ranks. So um, I actually learned a lot from Katie myself. Naturally, for any footballer, your instincts are that you want to win the league title. doesn't matter in what sport it is, you want to take home the top prize. But a reality of semi-professional sport is you have to go through rebuilding years to be able to prepare yourself to be in that shape to challenge for the title. At the Western Bulldogs last season, just gone, so uh, we're talking about six, seven months ago, it was a rebuilding year. You're about to go to the West Coast Eagles, which are, you can almost say are in a developing phase after the first year. They are doing the slow build with uh, plenty of young talent coming in as they build up their squad to hopefully have a reasonable shot at the title in a couple of years. How much does that challenge you mentally as a footballer of, okay, the natural instincts there that I want to win the title, It'd be nice if we win it, but realistically, we're trying to build the foundation. Um, well, I suppose that's probably something that was talked about from, from the outside, that we were in a transition phase. But we often spoke about it in-house that we actually, you know, we had young girls, but we were there to try win that title. And, you know, before the season started, we really worked hard and that was our goal. But unfortunately, obviously, um, as the season went on, things didn't go our way. So, you know, it's the same at West Coast. Um, like, I'm really excited to head there. Um, they have, you know, they're only a new team, obviously. So, um, but I'm really excited to kind of build on the foundations they laid last year. Um, they obviously bet um, Bulldogs as well when I played for them. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to, to going and playing with them. And they have two of the best midfielders in the competition in Dana Hooker and Emma Swanson. So, you know, I'm really excited to potentially put my hand up for the mid, in the midfield and play alongside those. And, um, you know, I think I'm really excited where we could go. And um, I think once I get over there, I will be working hard to try uh, win every game as well. Just to whet the appetite for Eagles fans, looking back on your 2020 season, how did you think that you improved based upon your 2019 performance? And what areas do you think you got better which should have fans excited for the Eagles for the 2021 season? Um, well, I probably got around the football a lot more. Um, I had the football in my hands a bit more and, you know, I probably used it quite well. And when we didn't win the football, I was uh, put a lot of pressure on the ball as well. So I made opposition make mistakes or made it difficult for them to, to get rid of the ball or tackle them. So. I do, do think my high intensity around the football and my competitive nature will bring something different to their midfield. And I sneak forward a little bit too, um, which oftentimes then the opposing midfield mightn't follow you up. So, um, you know, I can sneak a goal or two at times. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the role that I may have in the West Coast Eagles. And um, I'm looking forward to continuing to develop. Um, I think I still have a lot to improve on. And I think that the West Coast Eagles have all um, of the things in place for me to become the, the best player I can be. So I'm really looking forward to continuing and improving as a player. We'll talk in a moment's time how the West Coast Eagles are supporting you. But as we know, the 2019 season got cut short due to COVID-19. And uh, the Irish women in trickles were starting to head back on home because they were going to close the Irish borders. For you, naturally, because of the visa situation, you had to head back at some stage back home. Can you talk about that process of going back home, going through and having the 14 days quarantine and what lockdown life was like and how long it lasted for back home in Ireland? Um, yeah, so I think we were a bit oblivious to the situation in Australia at the time. It probably had hit Europe and was in Ireland a little bit sooner. So um, my parents are probably a little bit more worried than we were over in Australia. Obviously, we were continuing to play, although it was behind closed doors. Things seemed to be pretty normal. But, you know, it did take a bit of a turn and our season got cut short. And I think the minute that it got cut short, um, everyone realised the seriousness of the situation. And obviously, we're amidst a uh, global pandemic at the moment. So, you know, I'm grateful to Bulldogs. They straight away um, organised a flight for myself and Katie to go home. And we were on that flight with a good few other Irish girls as well. So, yeah, I got back home and it was probably in the middle of um, 
a bit of a lockdown. I just don't think the restrictions were too strict, but I had to quarantine for two weeks anyway. Um, but in the middle of my quarantine, um, I think a week in a lockdown of you couldn't leave um, a two kilometre radius from your house to do exercise or anything. And then you had to go to your nearest shop and things to, to do your shopping. So it was quite serious. And we had five phases um, of lockdown. So I think that first one could have lasted like three weeks or four weeks. And um, then it got pushed to 5K, you could leave um, to exercise. Then you could have traveled 20K. So I think it was only around June um, that we kind of started to get out of our lockdown. And then we started training as well with our Gaelic football team. And then I think July games and stuff started. And um, now we're continuing to play games. But numbers here are rising a small bit um, there's a few clusters around so we ha- we were able to have um, spectators and fans at games but now we can't anymore so we'll be playing behind closed doors um, for the next um, three weeks I think but look hopefully we get it under control and um, it's really nice just to have football back at the moment um, I'm really enjoying playing it and I think the fact it was taken away from us for so long I have a greater appreciation for it as well um, but you know it, it wasn't all doom and gloom I guess when I arrived home um, I got to spend some time with my um, family, which I probably wouldn't have. I think last year when I arrived home from Australia, I went straight back into working full time and playing Gaelic football. So it was probably a little bit overwhelming, whereas this year I had a lot more downtime. Um, and then come May, I actually started a job as a physiotherapist in a hospital um, as well. So, you know, um, I got a routine then come May and I'm just really glad that we have football and everything back at the moment. In a strange way, was the three to four week lockdown within that 2K radius almost a blessing for you, almost telling your body, okay, it's time to just relax, just ease off a bit, recuperate, refresh yourself, and I guess make you appreciate sport a little more when you come back? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we didn't know how long the lockdown was going to last. Um, so you're just taking each day as a cane. So I think, to be honest, in the first week or two, I was like, this is great. It gives me more time to practice my Gaelic football skills. So I nearly had the Gaelic football in my hand every day, even just out the back, kicking it against the wall and things like that. And I was doing a little bit of running just to um, get back into, into Gaelic football and that. But, you know, the lockdown then got extended and it seemed to go on for a really long time. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I tried to exercise, uh, do gym work and pick up the Gaelic football as much as I could. But at the same time, when I realised my body was tired and my mind was tired, I just took days off and it was nice to be able to spend time um, with my family. But then, I was uh, very happy to get a job as well in May and it just meant that I had a lot more routine and structure to my life whereas, you know, some people had lockdown for a good few months um, and it would have felt like a very long time. So I was really um, glad that I did um, get employed as well um, come May. Let's talk about going through uh, 2020 in Ireland. Uh, read the interview that you gave with uh, Off the Ball. Uh, this was back in May, so you were just uh, st- still coming out of that lockdown into the 5K radius. At that stage, they were talking about the All-Ireland Ladies Football Championship being pushed to later in the year and possibly being played in October. By that stage, as you said, you've got a uh, full-time job in Ireland. How much did that seriously weigh on your mind of, OK, I might be sitting out the 2021 AFLW season? Yeah, um, I suppose, you know, um, this is such a unique year and when the All-Ireland Championship got pushed back to October, November, I realised it kind of put a bit of a spanner in the works when it came to potentially going back to Australia. Um, But, you know, we don't actually know what, like, uh, I think we're just taking it day by day uh, here and we don't actually know what's around the corner. So, um, I fortunately signed for West Coast Eagles for the next two seasons and they've um, understood how important it is for me to represent Tipperary and play in that All-Ireland Championship. So they've given me full support to play that and then come out to pre-season after that campaign with Tipperary. So I'm very grateful to them. But, you know, with the way things are going, um, there there mightn't be an inter-county championship. You just don't know. Um, The same with, like, Australia, how are they going to um, maybe play in an AFLW season if the pandemic is, is still there um, as it is in Victoria at the moment? So, you know, I won't kind of 
I suppose uh, believe that I'm in Aust- that I'm going to Australia until I'm actually in Perth. I think um, and that I'm training, and then at the same time, I'm not going to kind of um, believe that I'm playing inter-county as well until I play that first match against Galway so it is it's tough but I think we're just all taking it day by day and appreciating what we have at the moment and um, we never know what's around the corner for us and it's just such a unique year and um, I think we're just all expecting the unexpected now and nothing will come as a surprise at all to us Um, I think we're just in that kind of frame of mind um, at the moment Are you personally surprised that 15 out of the 18 Irish women uh, from the 2020 season have recommitted to playing in AFLW 2021. And there's an additional player, Lauren McGee, has uh, signed on with Melbourne. Considering we're still in a very uncertain way of not only if the, if the season will happen because of uh, COVID-19, but obviously around border restrictions as well. We don't know what the border rules will be like as the, as the months progress. Um, yeah, definitely. I suppose it is a very high number, but um, at the same time, it just shows the importance of some of the Irish girls have to their team. But, you know, I think uh, most of those girls have been um, supported to play Gaelic football as, as well, which um, is really important. I think that people are um, respected dual athletes and um, that they are allowed to play Gaelic football because that's obviously what got us over to play AFLW in the first place. So I think being able to continue to represent um your county at the highest level is really important too. But yeah, as I said, we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know anything about the border restrictions or anything yet. So, you know, I won't believe that I'm in Perth. I'm going to Perth until I'm there kind of a way. Um, but yeah, look, um, I've it's planned that I'll continue working as a physio at the moment. Um, I'll play with Tipperary come October, November. And whenever I get knocked out, I'll be heading to Perth for pre-season. And that's the plan I have. It all could change, um, but at the moment, that's kind of where my head is at and um, where I think that my year is going. The move to the West Coast Eagles. Now, normally that seems like a big move in Australia if someone's moving from uh, Victoria or even Queensland across to the other side of the country, across to WA. In fact, probably the move's a little bit easier for you. When you look at flight time, it's about four hours less for you to come from around uh, Ireland in the UK to catch a flight over to uh, Perth and Western Australia. Um, how did the initial thoughts come about joining the Eagles? Was it a case of either... A, you were thinking about moving to WA and it was a case of speaking to either Frio or the Eagles or did they approach you? Um, so, yeah, like the signing trade period was obviously postponed until August so it probably gave teams um, a lot longer to get in touch with players and um, things like that. So, yeah, West Coast Eagles um, approached me. Um, I had a good few conversations with them over the, le- the weeks leading up to the signing trade period and they really got to know me as a person. Um, they kind of told me how they could potentially play me to my strengths and how I could bring something different to their team. And as well as that, and as well as the footballer, they understood that my physio career was really important to me as well. So they've um, actually enabled me to even just shadow a physio in the clinic next to their club for two, three hours even a week. But that would make a massive difference in my learning. Um and to continue upskilling because when I've been in Australia for the past two, six months since, I probably parked my physio career and I haven't really done a whole pile because I can't work in Australia with it. So I was really grateful that I could take up this opportunity to continue learning and developing my physio career alongside trying to become the best athlete I can. And um, yeah, look, I'm just really excited um, about going to that club and just with the conversations I've had with them, um, they just seem to take all the boxes and the way that they welcomed and catered for Neve and Grace Kelly as well. Um, they're both from Ireland as well and how they catered for them. They had nothing but good things to say about the club. So I'm really, really excited um, to head over. Obviously, it was a tough decision. Um, Bulldogs gave me the opportunity in AFLW, but um, I realised um, people do move, um, you know, between clubs in Australia and it's it's something that's done quite often, whereas I, I guess in Ireland, we consistently play with the same team um, all our life, no matter what, um, because it's done on where, where you where you live. Um, 
and where you're from. So, you know, it was a bit alien in that sense. Um, but once I kind of parked all of my doubts and what people would kind of think from the outside about me, I did think that this was the best decision for myself, um, not just as a footballer, but as a person um, and as well as a physio. So I'm really excited to start this journey um, with the West Coast Eagles for the next two seasons. And that must give you uh, a great comfort to know that you've got that two-year contract. As you mentioned, after you finish playing with Tipperary, uh, possibly as late as uh, November. With this two-year deal and working as a physio, does this mean you'll be out in Australia uh, full-time for two years or will you still be doing six months, then back home, then back out again? Um, no, it'll be um, the same again. So it'll be six months um, back home playing Gaelic football, uh, working as a physio at home and then back out to Australia um, the same way again for pre-season and the season. So I guess it just gives me security in the sense that I have a contract for the following season. Um, as well as that, it, it gives the club security as well that you know I won't potentially be asking for a trade from them next year. So um, it works both ways, but I'm really excited um, to, to join them. And um, you know a few of the girls have messaged me as well um, so they seem to be a really close-knit group. So I'm excited to get to know them as well um, off the field as well as on the field. Once it was confirmed that you'd signed for two years for the West Coast Eagles, um, from that point onwards, was it essentially just jumping straight into, I say videotape, but jumping online to streams and essentially watching through all the Eagles matches from last year, including including watching through and talking at the same time with Grace and Neve Kelly, uh, someone on your timeline as well, to be able to talk about game plan and strategy and what the Eagles were trying to achieve in their midfield setup. Yeah, so um, I, we haven't got into things um, in too much depth at the moment. But yeah, I've been added to their WhatsApp groups and um, things like that. I've been added to email lists and I've been introduced to a lot of the staff. So, you know, they've um, linked me up with their strength and conditioning coach and I've got programs from them. But as well as that, they really appreciate that Gale football is at a very, very high standard over here as well. So, they appreciate that our training and games over here are probably optimal enough as well. Um, but they just want to tweak anything that they can to enable me to be the best I can. So if I have a gym program, they might look at it and say, um, oh, they can add this in or that's perfect. So, you know, they've got um, a lot of support on what I'm doing here in Ireland and they just kind of check over it and things like that. And um, obviously I'm in the, the group chats and things, so I've been introduced to the girls. But... You know, I think over the next few weeks and months, we'll go through more of the, the football stuff. But I think at the moment, everyone's just trying to get their lists um, together. And obviously the draft is coming up in October as well. So um, I think the management and coaches will be busy enough with that as well, looking at the young talent that they want to bring into the team as well. So um, it's probably going to be a busy few months um, for everyone, but I'm really looking forward to it. During your second season with the Western Bulldogs, you managed to share a house with uh, other Irish women that were playing in the AFLW. When you move over to uh, WA, uh, Anya Tai, who's playing with Fremantle, is already over there. Grace and Neve Kelly will be uh, moving back. Is there a plan to move in with the other Irish women or is there another plan set up there for you? Um, yeah, I think the plan is that we have a four-bedroom house. So I think it's going to be myself, Neve and Grace Kelly and another one of our West Coast teammates, maybe someone that comes over from Melbourne. I think one of the girls um, is actually from Melbourne, so um, or something like that. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, it's um, they have a very good setup um, to cater for interstate and international players. Um, so yeah, it would be nice as well to have that Irish connection um, when I'm in person. It will feel like I'm at home a little bit having those two girls. And as well as Grace and me, as well, um, I'm good friends with Belinda Smith, who played with Bulldogs two seasons ago as well. So it'll be nice to have a few familiar faces um, in the club when I walk in on my first day. As we mentioned earlier, Lauren McGee had uh, signed a contract with Melbourne, so it's great to see another new Irish woman uh, playing the game. Since you've been back home, and this is during both occasions, after uh, your first season and your second season, um, how many women uh, within the uh, ladies' Gaelic football ranks have actually reached out to you personally and asked about AFLW in the context of they were considering having a go? Yeah, um, a good few people probably have, but I think, you know, it depends on someone's personal situation. Like for me, when I got the opportunity, I graduated from college. Um, 
I didn't really have any ties at home in Ireland um, at that time. So I was able to kind of leave my life in Ireland for those six months. But, you know, some people have permanent jobs. Other people are still in education. Um, other people just mightn't be able to leave because of personal reasons. So I think, you know, to think anyone will just jump um, over is kind of a bit naive. I think it does take a lot of thinking. So I suppose people just want to get a general gist of what life is like out there and um, things like that and if it is for them. And, you know, if teams approach someone, they might ask a few questions as well. But, um, yeah, it, it it does depend on the person and what they're able um, to do, I guess, Um so, you know, when someone talks to me, in no way would I be able to sway their decision because obviously it depends on their um, own situation as well um, and what kind of plans they have. Now, before we close the chapter on the Western Bulldogs and, of course, you begin to write your new chapter at the West Coast Eagles, we'll take a very quick uh, look back with some quick-fire questions about some of your teammates while you were there. Uh, like we've asked those, particularly those that have retired in uh, previous interviews that we've done this year. So I'll ask you first up, from your two seasons that you've played AFLW so far, who was the toughest opponent that you went up against? Probably maybe someone like Maddie Prosparkus, um or Kiara Bowers. Which teammate were you most in awe of? Now, they didn't necessarily have to be the best player, but someone that you're amazed by their talent in your Bulldog side. Um, probably Izzy Huntington, because um, as well as her talent, um, she's come back from a good few setbacks and ACL injuries, and she's still so young and showed this year that she's one of the best defenders um, flash forward in the competition so I'm probably in all of her Now this could obviously include uh, any of the Western Bulldogs or the Irish women that you're in contact with uh, throughout the AFLW but which player did you turn to the most not just for if you were struggling with something on the field but if something was happening off field who did you turn to the most to I guess have a shoulder to lean on um, This year is probably the house I lived in so it's three girls Aileen Gilroy Joanne Doonan and Maureen Shoya. They're all from different clubs, but um, they're all my housemates. Which teammate did you find the funniest or the biggest serial pest? Um, probably Eleanor Brown. <laughs> She'll appreciate that shout out, I think. <laughs> and finally, one last question before we let you go. What does it mean to you when you go into Google, you type your name, and there it pops up. You've got a Wikipedia page talking about your ladies' Gaelic football career and your AFLW career. Wikipedia page. Um, I don't know. I think you're not meant to trust uh, too much things on Wikipedia, are you? Well, Ashlyn, thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football <laughs> Podcast here on RSN Carnival. Congratulations. It's what's been an outstanding journey so far since we spoke to you, as we said, about 23 months ago when you took part in the Crosscoders program. And all the very best for the next at least two years ahead with the West Coast Eagles in the AFLW. Thanks, Megan. Thanks for having me. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. On RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast with Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company. Now it's time for a scoreboard check where we head around Australia looking at the results from the previous week's round of women's footy action. We begin by looking at the results on the Sanford Women's Grand Final at Thebiton Oval, where North Adelaide 5-5-35 defeated South Adelaide 4-4-28, stopping the Panthers from winning three flags in a row. Ironically, Chrissy Steen coached the Panthers to the 2018 flag, and she stopped them from winning the 2020 flag by coaching the Roosters to an undefeated season. Congratulations to Chrissy Steen, her second Sanford Women's flag. Leading goal kickers on the day for the Roosters, two each to uh, Chrissy Cam- 
Newcastle and Britt Perry. One to Hannah Ewings for South Adelaide. Singles to Tia Carlton, Nikki Gore, uh, Gypsy Shrimmer and Indy Tahu. Uh, looking at some of the uh, player stats, Anne Hatchard, best on ground, absolutely dominated uh, for the Roosters. 34 disposals, 7 marks and 7 tackles. Most disposals for the Panthers, Talia Meyer with 18. Congratulations again to North Adelaide Premiers and Champions of the Sanford Women's Competition. Across to WA and the WAFL Women's Competition. Round 6 played over the weekend. Swan Districts 8-6-54, defeating Peel Thunder 7-5-47. Claremont 9-10-64, defeated South Fremantle 1-2-8. While Subiaco 2-6-18, went down to East Fremantle 3-8-26. Looking ahead to Round 7 action this weekend, the one game on the Saturday, August 29th, that is Peel Thunder versus Claremont, 12pm at David Gray's Arena. That will be the live stream game. On Sunday, the 30th of August, East Fremantle versus Swan Districts, 12.15 at New Choice Homes Park. And Subiaco versus South Fremantle, 2pm at Leaderville Oval. That is local time. Across the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition, Round 6 played over the weekend. Launceston, 8-11-59, defeated Tigers, one straight six. While Glenorchy, 7-6-48, defeated North Launceston, 2-4-16. Clarence having the bye. Looking ahead to Round 7 action on the Saturday, 5.20pm. At a twilight game at KGV, Glenorchy versus Clarence. Also on Sunday at 2 p.m., we have at Invermate Park, North Launceston versus Launceston, that local rivalry, Tigers having the bye. Across to the Queensland Australian Football League women's competition. Round 10 played over the weekend. Wilston Grange 3-4-22 went down to Coolangatta 5-8-38. Absley 1-2-8 were defeated by Bond University 6-13-49. Kripparoo 4-4-28 went down to Yoronga South Brisbane 7-4-46. And completing the sweep of a Waysides beating the home teams, UQ Red Lions 4-24 going down to Maroochydore 5-3-8. 33. Looking ahead to round 11 action. All games being played on Saturday the 29th of August. Coolangatta Tweed versus UQ Red Lions. 1pm at Exum Oval. 2.45pm at Leishon Park. Yeronga South Brisbane versus Bond University. 4.45pm at Giffen Park. Cooperoo versus Wilston Grange. And at 4.45pm at Maroochydore Multisports Complex. The Roos play host to the Apsley Hornets. And finally to the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division on uh, last Saturday, we had UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs 2-3-15 going down to Sydney Uni 8-10-58. Inner West Magpies 6-13-49 defeating Pennant Hills Demons 2-2-14. Macquarie University didn't score when they took on Manly Warringah with the Wolves racking up 5-12-42. Southern Power 6-8-44 defeated UTS 2-3-15. While North Shore 6-5-41 accounted for the East Coast Eagles, just the six behinds. Round 7 action, the third last round of the season will be this Saturday. All games on the Saturday, 29th of August. Kicking the dew off the grass at 10.30am at Pickett Oval. Inner West Magpies versus Sydney Uni. 10.50am at Waratah Oval. Southern Power versus UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. 11.30am at Mike Kenny. Oval, Pennant Hills Demons versus North Shore Bombers, 1.40pm at Weldon Oval, Manly Warringah Wolves versus the East Coast Eagles and 3pm at Trumper Park, UTS versus Macquarie University. And that's your scoreboard check from around the Women's State Leagues. And that concludes another edition of the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is available right now on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, and at warfradio.com. You can just Google search Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. And you can hear a new episode every week on RSN Carnival, 6 p.m. Wednesday. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to follow us on uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just put a slash at the end and WARF Radio. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company and it's bye for now.